Okay, everybody, welcome back. Uh, this week, Peter and I are going to do uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Good lordy. <laughs> I even hate Peter, the name. Welcome. welcome. I even hate you know, the funny. name, The Phantom Menace. Well, it's funny because I have uh, I, I made a list of good and bad things in this movie, and number one on the the bad list is terrible title. <laughs> so if we're just just to go through the bad list is going to be about a four hour podcast. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that you're you know just from our pre uh, podcast discussions, I think I think that I'm a little more split in this movie than you are. I think you're more consistently negative on it. Is that a fair statement? Well, the first like seven minutes are good. <laughs> I kind of feel like we can, we can get into the details. I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, this is the result of years of work by thousands of people on, you know, an enormous project. And I, I feel like, like they got some things right. And there are some genuinely great, bits in this movie and the things that they got wrong i almost entirely blame on george lucas i wish Um, it would have been the work of thousands of people because (laughs) they could have diffused george lucas's influence or diluted it because i mean this movie was a crushing realization to me um I, i i there are a few movies that i find more frustrating than this movie Wow, that's uh, I'm fighting words. I don't think I actually. I think it is the most frustrating. No, you know what? I I didn't really care enough because I kind of had outgrown outgrown the thing. Right, you're not you're not seven or ten. No, anymore. but it but it was sufficiently bad that it still disturbed me. I mean, I saw. I remember when it came out. So this <laughs> it thing It came you. out in what ninety eight or ninety nine. Ninety nine, summer right, ninety nine. Right. And so 22 years after Star Wars, because Star Wars came out in, in uh, 77, May of 77, right? Which both right. of us saw both of these movies in the theater. Yeah. So um, for sure. I saw, I actually only saw the original Star Wars when we were kids in the theater one time, believe it or not, because we got it on video not super long afterwards and just watched it literally to the point where the tape like wore thin. But, uh, but this I saw in the theater, I think I saw this twice in the theater. Wow. I could Yeah, barely... no, I'm telling you, I'm not as down on this movie as you are. Like I think that there's I think that that you can kind of like pick and choose the parts of this that are that are good and worth looking at. Did somebody pay you to go the second time? <laughs> I don't know. I paid George Lucas, which is were you, the greatest irony of all. Were you filled with self loathing? <laughs> Fear and loathing <laughs> at the cinema. Um so do you want to do the good or the bad first? Let's do the bad and get it out of the way because then I, I will, I'll finish, we could finish on some more positive stuff, right? So I, I'll start with the bad. I think that I think the title is bad because like it left I think most people scratching their heads like what the hell are they talking about? <clears throat> and I think True I remember the before movie. the movie came out, everybody was sort of like you know trying to figure out what the hell the title meant, and then when they walked out of the theater, it wasn't any clearer. Although I think now everybody kind of gets that. The title refers to the fact that uh, Palpatine is the villain of this movie, and they spend the entire movie focused on every last other possible person and character and situation besides Palpatine. I mean, he's essentially the phantom. I mean, everybody else is the phantom menace. He's the real menace. Well, no, I think George Lucas is actually the menace. <laughs> but he's not a phantom. He's very real. 
<laughs> well, right, because about as soon as uh, they they go to the surface of the planet and start running around. Well, even before that, because the um, the 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 aliens in the beginning who are what's it called the Federation or the whatever right, the trade the federation. trade federation, right? So they sound ridiculous. So that's the but so you get a little clue. What do in. you mean about the way they sound? <laughs> They're like quasi Asian. Yeah, they, I read that they were supposed to be Thai sounding, although they certainly don't sound Thai because that makes sense, <laughs> right? In the, in the right. first draft, they were cooking some red curry. It was ma- <laughs> they, were, they were eating masamad curry in the first in the first one, the first version. Lucas I mean, took I think that, that the biggest part, the biggest problem the whole movie has is that the story is an utter and complete mess. You know what I mean? Like, like whereas Star Wars is so like it's tight and it's efficient and it's taut. You know, like like. Like, really was faster and more intense, as Lucas liked to say. Like, this is the exact opposite of Star Wars. It's like the mathematical inverse of A New Hope. Yeah, it's slower and more um, more merchandising. That's should be, that's what he said. Slower <laughs> and more merchandising. Well, you know, it's funny because Lucas publicly said many times, like when he was accused of making his movies to sell toys, he didn't argue. Like he said, yeah, of course. Like I'm, I'm selling toys. Like, wouldn't you? Like, like the the marketing opportunities here were lost on absolutely no one. Right, because you know, um, he really needed that, right? Because he'd already made billions after the first three movies, basically. Only, up uh, which after Star Wars, he had relatively less influence on. Right. Uh, I, you know, I actually don't think so, because if you read <clears throat> stuff about Lucas and I read his biography, which is, I don't know, a couple inches thick, not too long ago, you know, Lucasfilm has had one shareholder. Like when he sold to Disney, there was one shareholder. Right. Like, and, and they were saying that with the exception of possibly Irvin Kirshner, he shadow directed all the movies before he sold out to Disney. And like Kirshner could kind of push back on him. Um, and on Star Wars, they had Gary Kurtz, who was the producer, who really pushed back on him if he didn't like stuff. But on the other movies, he basically isn't listed as the director, but for all intents and purposes, he did. And for example, Richard Marquand, who directed Jedi, uh, was basically chosen because Lucas thought he could basically bully him. Like that was the appeal of Richard Marquand, but as you opposed can, to Kirshner. But you can tell that he was back. When the third movie, Return of the Jedi, um, came out, you could tell right, Luke, Lucas it's was all back. of right. It's all of Lucas's worst instincts, right? I mean, he has good instincts, but that was sort of all of his worst instincts. You know, his 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 first wife, Marsha Lucas, like always pushed him to make the films more complicated and darker and less juvenile. And you know she's she's gone in the later movies because they divorced. But you know her she edited Star Wars and her influence is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, like the people who had sway over him, Marsha Lucas, Gary Kurtz, right? right? These people all fall away, and then he's literally surrounded by thousands. I mean, literally thousands of yes men. Right, and he's surrounded by Mattel, <clears throat> Kenner, technically. Right. <laughs> 
Um, right. I Kenner and Kenner became Hasbro, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the story is a mess and like nothing makes sense. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the red letter media. I mean, we can't do this podcast and not mention the 70 or whatever it is, 90 minute red letter media review of the Phantom Menace that the whole world has seen, where they literally, literally, like scene by scene, line by line, tear the movie apart and show at every possible turn how bad it is. Um, but, you know, like for me, the, the hardest part is the story. Like there's all this backing and forth. Nothing makes sense. No one's motivation is apparent. And they do all sorts of stuff that's just plain dumb. Like these are supposed to be... I'm going to make this point in a different context later. I mean, these are supposed to be Jedi Knights at the absolute height of their power, and they appear to have zero judgment. Except for the first, like, seven minutes, which... Yeah, although the first seven minutes is interesting, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense, but since it's the beginning of the movie and you start in the middle of things, you, you cut it a little more leeway, right? So when you start down, you start watching the movie... The first Star Wars movie in 22 years, or, well, not really, but you know what Remember I mean. Remember how excited you were for this thing? I wasn't that excited because I already had I was heard. excited. But, no, I was excited. I mean, I saw it, I think I saw it, not opening day, but I saw it opening weekend. I remember being excited to go. I saw it later, but um, I, I still was excited enough that I was immensely disappointed. So I must have been <laughs> at least somewhat excited. But, I remember I walked out. And I I just didn't know what to think. Like, I was like, did I like it or not? And I guess if you're wondering if you liked it or not, the answer is no. I can't believe you even wondered. <laughs> well, no, I'm telling you, like, we'll, we'll get to the good. There's there's some stuff. So um, I think even worse than Jar Jar, and we'll get to Jar Jar, yeah. is midichlorians. Yeah. Right? Which is such an incredibly everything stupid is, idea. Everything's stupid. I, I just seriously like you know it's that was a very good line delivery the way you did that the whole movie is terrible i mean even darth maul that everybody loves who cares he's got well, a yeah. double-ended star you know whatever you know the only way to improve on a the only way to improve on a lightsaber is a, a dual-ended uh. you know well you know he had to somehow be bigger and badder so that he got functionally two lightsabers you know they, they up they upped him with general grievous later who had four lightsabers i know <laughs> plus they had yoda doing gymnastics yeah. <laughs> jumping CG around digitally yoda. but but wait just really quick on the midichlorians like the idea that like the force is biologically based and there's a blood test for it yeah like what you know it's funny because like it takes all the mystery out of it you know like luke like, we learn in Star Wars that Luke, you know, is strong in the Force, and it's magical. You know, it's incredible. But, you know, actually, he just had a, you know, a serum midichlorian level that was greater than three times the upper limit of normal. So, you know, like, <laughs> of course he's a Jedi Knight. Like, it's, like, when you kind of, like, medicalize it, like, it's retarded. Right. And all they had to do was test him back in the first movie. Right. And then wouldn't they, wouldn't the Jedi just institute, like, you know, like, remember in elementary school, they checked for scoliosis, they checked our hearing, we did the color blindness thing, right? Like, oh, and I got my midichlorian level check, you know, after gym. Well, they <laughs> stick the little newborn babies in the heel and they test for like 25, you know, gene <laughs> disorders, right? And right. so one Good of news, them is- You don't have cystic fibrosis and you're going to be a Jedi Knight. <laughs> By the way, you're also a Jedi, so we're going to have to take your baby. Right. Say goodbye. 
Now Mama. that, no, that would have been a good Star Wars movie right there. Uh, and Is then it me, you know, Lucas, oh, you, you Lucas could have, Lucas could have, he could have had the the Jedi nursery as the like as a play kit, you know, like like <laughs> the, the midichlorian <laughs> testing kit, and then the Jedi nursery, right, with like little babies swaddled in like blue and red lightsaber colored blankets right you know like you, you know you, you do a little baby medical there's a little like test tube and you shake it up and it's got sparkly things in it i mean they could have gone Bye, far with Kenner. that right they could have gone pretty far with that you know uh so uh, further on my bad list shmi skywalker who uh anakin's mother who has an accent that defies comprehension. Um, <laughs> she was, and, she was Laotian instead of Thai. <laughs> and just, <coughs> just, I don't know. I don't even know why she's in this movie. Why do we need her at all? I mean, I guess she's there to make Anakin going away traumatic, but Anakin is, you know, thrilled and excited to be going away. So in which case it's not really traumatic at all. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Watto. Um, you want to talk about, show, dare we talk about Jar Jar Binks? Oh, good Lord. So Jar Jar Binks is a, is a, is a turning, is a turning point for the movie to me because the movie, I give it the benefit of the doubt. For the <laughs> I first think he appears minutes. at the seven minute mark. As you mentioned earlier. Exactly. So the movie goes from, I don't know what's going on, but there's some badass Jedis and everybody's afraid of them. And you've got Liam Neeson, who's sufficiently um, relaxed and frightening. I will find you, and I will kill you. Yeah, he, he, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have a particular set of skills and a lightsaber. <laughs> so, uh. so you know, you've got you've got that the whole beginning. And look, it's young Obi Wan, and he's got a little you know rat tail hairdo. And whatever. I mean, they, there's a bunch of lightsaber battles, and these they're really skilled. And y- y- sure, it's it's a little you know this whole trade negotiation thing. Whatever you know, you don't know what's going on, but and you never figure it out at all. Yeah, ever. you never really do. But, but actually, fine. In the end, it doesn't actually matter. It makes no sense. But fine, fine. You give them the benefit of the doubt because you're thinking, hey, look, wow, this is there's something going on here. They're they're clearly trying to make the point that. The Jedi are extremely fierce and they're extremely influential. They're feared and they are the the um, they're the Judge Dreads of you know Jedi Land. You know they go She's out. She's a pass. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> right, they're Judge Dreads plus you know they have um, telekinesis. Right, right. right, Judge Dredd plus Judge Anderson is analogous to uh, Liam Neeson and right. Ewan McGregor. They're tough. So, and then all of a sudden they get to the planet and it's Misa Job Misa Jar Jar. <laughs> and you know, it's it's funny because uh, let me interrupt you for one second. You know, because Lucas. You know, what's funny about Lucas is Lucas wins in the end, like. Like he wins in the end. He certainly got my money and he got like, he's got a lot of my money, George Lucas. And like, like I'm getting a little bit to the good a little bit, but you know, like he really did sort of, you got to admit he ushered in like digital characters, you know, like you, you know, you could have a little bit here or there or like five minutes in young Sherlock Holmes, but like they did 
this is like the first all digital character, which now is in every movie. You know what I mean? Like, like he won that battle. And like on a related level, not all of this movie, but <clears throat> chunks of this movie are filmed digitally. And Lucas was running around for years saying, we have to stop using film and record everything digitally. And people told him he was crazy, but he was right. Right. And this movie was most, was it entirely digitally projected? No. Uh, no, 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 no. There was, it was actually, it opened on four digital screens. There were okay. no digital theaters. So, but he helped kind of usher that in. I like, think that's by the Lucas next movie too. it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but, you know, theaters were like, what? Why would I buy a new projector? You know, like, what do you mean new projector? Why would I do that? You know, it's, you know, like to make one other point, like, like Lucas, Lucas is the guy who said that the, the speakers should be oriented a certain way and the sound quality should be good. And like, like that whole THX idea, you know, like, like that's another Lucas idea that, that won out in the end. Like whether you go to a THX theater or not, they've all basically knocked off the idea of like, put the speakers the way he suggested. Sure. Except that in the end, nothing could change the fact that no one goes to the theater. Comparatively. Um, not not like they used to, not in the era of, you know, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. Right. How, you know, why would you? You know, when everybody's right. – I mean, when we were kids, you know, we had we had a 27-inch TV and a CRT, which was amazing. We, we had one of them in our living room. Now, like, everybody's got monstrous television screens in their house. So, like, the, you know, the impetus to go to the movies, like, it's got to be something really good or interesting or original or highly desired. Let unless, me tell you, I remember when my dad 13. got that 27-inch TV. Like, you brought it home, and man, we were excited. It sure. Came in a humongous cube box, and it weighed like 900 pounds. <laughs> yep, and it looked like crap. <laughs> but but, but it, not at the time it didn't, because... No, at the time it was amazing. Yeah, because 20 years ago, it was a 9-inch black and white with, with uh, you know, Richard Nixon and his stubble on it. <laughs> I'll tell you a brief funny story about that 27-inch TV. Our house was struck by lightning, and that TV blew up. <laughs> like, like my father and I were watching it, and, like, this was this huge clap, and, like, all the lights in the house went out, and, like, the TV, literally, like, the screen turned black and smoked. Nice. <laughs> and that was the end of the 27-inch television. <laughs> right, and there are a few things in life that have disappointed you more than the smoke rising from your 27-inch TV. I remember my dad and I looking at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Um, But, you know, it's, you know what's interesting is... um. By the way, that's pretty watch- much how I felt when Jar Jar got on the screen. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. You know, it's interesting if you uh, read uh, interviews with or watch interviews with Ahmed Best, who played uh, Jar Jar, you know, he is to this day hurt about this. Like, you know, he initially was just hired to do basically Jar Jar's physicality so they could map digitally onto him. Like, he actually wore this sort of rubber Jar Jar head when he ran around on the set. And then he competed and won the right to be Jar Jar's voice. And he he really, really thought like this was his enormous break. And Lucas was very, very positive on him. And basically, like, you know, when you're making these movies, the only thing anybody cared about was Lucas's opinion. And Lucas was very, very, very positive on him. And basically, he thought that this was it. And he 
he was completely unprepared for the negative backlash that he got. Um, and he's he's given some really interesting interviews. I think the big one was in Wired. I could be getting that wrong, but I think it was Wired, where he basically talked about how, like, he was devastated. And, like, he was a Star Wars fan and to find out that he was the most hated person in Star Wars. Like, it messed him up. Yep. You know, similarly, Jake Lloyd, who played uh, young Anakin, um, he was bullied and teased uh, relentlessly uh, in school because of this. And he actually quit acting and uh, publicly said that he destroyed all his Star Wars memorabilia because his experience after the film came out was so bad. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he's actually schizophrenic now, Jake Lloyd. I mean, I'm not giving anything away. It's been discussed in the media ad nauseum, but he's his mother has publicly said that he's a very troubled young guy. Well, Samuel L. Jackson retired after he played Mace Windu. <laughs> you think it could be this boy? <laughs> <laughs> Although he did get he did uh, give a great line in the movie where he got to say, "Hand me my lightsaber. It's the one that says bad motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question to you, right? If if there's like a room on Coruscant where there's like, you know, 15 Jedi sitting on these little couches, everybody gets their own specially designed couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Anakin is the guy who's going to like end the universe as we know it. Like no one, like no one puts their foot down and like, not this one. Let's not train this guy. Right, and at the end they're like, "Well, well, you told Qui Gon you would, so all right." <laughs> like, like I don't understand. Like they have all these reservations about how bad he is, right, yeah. and how much trouble they see with him, and then they sort of give in. Like that's what I mean. Like, like the Jedi don't notice that Palpatine is the Sith Lord. Like they don't know. They don't put it together that they shouldn't train. Anakin, like, like they just seem dumb or like blinded to me. And I guess like hardcore Star Wars fans, like, oh, the power of the dark side blinded them. But it's stupid. Like we're supposed to believe that these are the wisest, you know, best people in the universe, and right. every last one of them gets it wrong. It's because it's kind of like you know everybody gets to watch and realize what a train wreck it is, and yet they are in the middle and think it's great just like the movie itself (laughs) and george lucas who had 20 years and unlimited resources okay there is no movie that has come out that had that had more potential resources to make a sequel than this movie ever and possibly probably for 50 or 100 years this is going to be the case but you know what's interesting is this comes out the same year as the matrix and you know this movie makes a billion dollars but like the matrix captures everyone's attention because it's new and it's different you know what i mean like like you know you could imagine george lucas like jumping up and down waving his arms like no no no, look over here look over here and everybody is like watching the wachowski brothers movie over in the the theater next door to the phantom menace but you know he didn't have to do any jumping at all because it was it it was a generation later and there were you know a hundred million people just in the u.s that were going to see it in the first week yeah See it, see it more than once. Um, of all ages, you know. Well, I mean, maybe not sixty, but you know what I mean. 
Yeah. Can we talk about some good stuff? Well, one bad thing I want to just say, (laughs) sure. this is what I want to say that this is what really bothered me. Okay. So the first part is he had, he had all this time and unlimited resources and this is what he came up with. The second thing is it made me realize that all of my positive feelings and all of my esteem that I had sort of heaped on Star Wars at, since, since, you know, we were seven when Star Wars came out, right? So, uh, speak for yourself. I'm not divulging my age on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, look, we were really right in the demographic. You know, I mean, we, yeah, no, we, no, we were in the crosshairs. Right. And, and then we saw all three of the original movies in, in the theater. We waited an eternity for three years between each movie. Um, to go see them, we lined up and and went to go see them, and and we loved them when they came out, even though uh, Return of the Jedi sucked mostly. But I realized that that the fact that Star Wars was good was almost an accident because <laughs> Lucas, besides the other factors like other people held him in check, it was also partly that you know Lucas famously didn't sleep for like three months. You know, he slept like an hour a night. Yeah, and he was like a having a nervous breakdown. He really almost lost it. Like he truly was was sort of mentally And, and Star Wars injured. is made for very little money comparatively. I think it's I think Star Wars costs like like eleven million or something. Like not that much money. Right. And it looks incredible. Incredible right. well, for the they money. invented all this stuff. Right. I mean you basically you have two thousand one and and then Star Wars, like in terms of you know movies that that have a look that is absolutely completely unprecedented, right? And then and then there's a big big gap to Jurassic Park in terms of like visuals that changed all the film. Exactly. Or I guess you could also maybe you could throw the Matrix in there a little bit. Yeah, the Matrix is probably true, but um, but but so so after so I realized that. Part of it was just that it was an accident almost that this movie was good. It was not because of George Lucas, but in spite of him. <laughs> and then... The, it was the unkindest cut of all. Right. So then the, then the second movie, Empire Strikes Back, was good because he was recovering from basically almost, you know, losing it. Cause so so his, his involvement was relatively small. And Kirshner was able to... So they, they made the best movie when he had the least involvement and you know and they had lawrence kasdan and lay brackett writing right. that movie i mean like and you know there was also like the, the the actors had a little more input on things like empire is like i always joke that star wars is the best movie and empire is the best film in the series like that's kind of how i rationalize it right and then you know he basically recovered by the time uh the third movie came out and and then and all he, his bad instincts right and you got this movie that's that's mixed Ewoks. To put it kindly right right the ewoks and but, all of know, a sudden but, people are related that doesn't make sense and there's but crazy return of the jedi elements. reminds me of nothing as much as this movie of all the star wars movie like return of the jedi and this are the closest in terms of tone and the way that they're structured and the mistakes that they make right but right? This, like this jar jar and the level. ewoks are kissing cousins yeah, but he really outdid himself with this one. I mean, <laughs> well, he 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 uh, he went far. He went very very far. Um, so so that's what crushed me because I thought you know, look at you know how terrible and disconcerting is that. <laughs> 
Well, it is. I mean, you know, this is why, like, for example, people run around to this day quoting Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Like, no one quotes The Phantom Menace. Like, no one. I got to tell you, I, you know didn't what even, I, mean? I didn't even remember the title of this movie. When we talked about what movie <laughs> to do next, The Phantom Menace, I was thinking, which one is that? <laughs> I, I, but, you know, I mean, at some point, this thing just becomes like an, I mean, the Star Wars franchise becomes an unstoppable financial engine. The movies get made, whether they're good or not, and people go whether they're good or not. You know, when we saw The Last Jedi, I think I may have said this before in the podcast, I took my family to go see The Last Jedi, and I was literally... Like the kid who like lived, breathed, ate, drank Star Wars in the seventies, like during the Last Jedi, I took out my phone and I started reading the news. Like I was so bored and I was so distracted. And it was awful. And I remember when we walked out, I said to my wife, "Like I think I'm done. Like I think I think I'm gonna just plant the flag and declare victory here and and be done with these main Star Wars movies." Like I liked Solo and I liked Rogue One, but I think like I'm done with the main Star Wars movies because the saga is it's been it's it's been so overdone for so long. Like there's nothing left. Like that that well is dry. I didn't see after this movie, The Phantom Menace, episode one came out. I didn't go see any of the others until he sold out to Marvel and they started making spinoffs. And I saw a couple mm. of the recent ones, but I didn't go back for another, you know, 16 years or something. Yeah. So let me say the good thing, because I, I, I think that there are good things in this. Um, so I what, have to say, race? I think the movie, I think the movie looks great. Like this movie is well shot. It is well lit. And the effects are terrific. Like, I, I have to give it that. Like, like ILM is incredible. And there's not a shot in this movie that looks bad from, like, a, a, a sort of a cinematography perspective. Like, the money that they put into this thing, I think it costs 115 or $130 million. The money is all on the screen. And the movie, you got to say, it looks great. And it also sounds great. Like, Ben Burt is doing the sound again. And Ben Burt kind of, like, shadow directed this a little bit and edited a little bit. But, I mean, I think it looks and it sounds great. And it is it is kind of cool. Like this is the dawn of digital cinema. Like I believe that the sword fight at the end, the, the where where Qui Gon and and Obi Wan fight Darth Maul, that's the big scene that they shot digital because they knew they had to do the most work on it. And and you got to admit that that fight scene looks phenomenally good, just phenomenally good. Look, I it's don't... fast and and they're you know they're running and they're jumping and that sort of crazy power reactor. By the way, not sure why Naboo was in such a panic about being cut off for a few days if they have a power reactor the size of the sun. They couldn't, you know, like okay, well, we can Amazon, be cut off for a couple of days. Amazon but... couldn't deliver. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, not quite sure why. Like, it's weird because they're supposed to be in the palace, and then somehow underneath the palace is this enormous, you know, like, reactor. It's a little a little hard to reconcile there. But anyway, but I think it looks great, and it sounds great. And it is cool to see the Jedi at the peak of their powers, because all we've seen in the first three movies is old Darth Vader, old Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, you know, semi-inept Luke, who's essentially self-taught. Right. Like, to me, like that is interesting. And like in the opening scene, you know, like the first seven minutes, like it's neat to see the Jedi running around the Trade Federation ship, sort of like cutting everything down. And like, for example, there's a great shot. It's a it's a good bit of drama and it's a great effect where where um Liam Neeson 
plunges his lightsaber through a door and the door starts to melt yeah. around the lightsaber. Like it's a great effect and it's a little bit of a hark back to uh, the last scene in Forbidden Planet where the, the Krell door starts to come apart. Like there's no way that they were not aware of that shot in Forbidden Planet because it's almost the exact same shot. Well, it's the kind um, of thing that all the, every kid that, you know, grew up watching Star Wars would have thought you could do with a lightsaber and then they right, deliver. Exactly. Yeah, but, no, you know, it's a great, it's a great, but, but stuff like that, like right. makes me like be a little more forgiving. Like I actually think Liam Neeson and He's Hugh great. McGregor are, are good in this. And Liam I also Neeson's think it's great. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, I mean, he, Liam Neeson basically holds the entire movie together. Like, without Liam Neeson, there's no center to this movie. Um, and even Ian McDermott uh, reprising his role as Palpatine. The scenery-chewing Emperor yeah, Palpatine. Yeah, he's good. Like, he's good. You know, I read that he was shocked that Lucas called him because it had been so long since he'd done the part in Jedi. Yeah. And Lucas was like, yeah, no, no, you do it. I mean, he's he's really good. Like, I like the bit where he says to Anakin at the end of the parade, he goes, oh, follow your career with interest. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's a really clever line, and he's good at it. And then you got you to gotta admit, the pod race is great. Like, forget everything else. Like, if you wanted to, you know, demo a high-def TV, like, you could put the pod race on to sort of take your TV out for a test drive and see how good the image is. And the like, sound. Like, the pod race scene. Yeah, I mean, it looks and it sounds great. And, I, you know, I grew up watching the William Wyler uh, version of Ben-Hur. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, like, that pod race, sorry, the, the chariot race in Ben-Hur was one of the biggest things when we were kids. Like, Ben-Hur was on every Thanksgiving, and we would watch the entire thing. But what my brother and I really, really wanted to see was the the, the chariot race. And, sure. you know, this is a very, very overt homage to that. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing is set up and constructed the exact same way. Um, and that pod race scene looks great. Yeah. Yeah, if you'd go from the first seven minutes to the pod race, yeah, you, they would have done well. The movie would be like 34 minutes long, but. <laughs> well, do you know, it's funny that you say that because people have, I don't know if you've seen any of the fan edits of The Phantom Menace that are on YouTube or online. Like, people have done exactly what you're saying is they have said, like, let's take the good and get rid of the bad. And they've re-edited this movie. And it's about 35 or 40 minutes shorter when you take out all the sort of unnecessary and stupid stuff. Um, and you can watch these fan edits online. The rumor is that Topher Grace, who plays the, he was the star on that 70s show, is that he's actually put together one of them as well. Um, but it shows you like, you know, like, as you like to say, like there, you know, you gotta, you gotta separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. That was a lot of chaff. There is a lot of chaff, but there's some wheat there. You know, I feel bad for Jake Lloyd in this because, I mean, he's really, really, really little. And he you can tell he's giving it all he has. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the, the poor kid got just shredded. You know, I, how old was he when they made this? Like 10? I don't know. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't look like he's less than... He doesn't look like he's less than 8, but, I mean, he is really, really little. And if you watch his audition tape... His audition tape, I mean, he looks, I mean, he looks like, you know, he's in second or third grade in his audition. It's crazy. And to think that, you know, they put him in this movie with such a big part. Yeah. He's from Colorado. Yeah. How old was he? When was he born? This came out in 99. So they probably filmed it in 98. So he was When nine. was he born? He was born yeah, in 89. Nine. Good Lord. 
Yeah, I feel. I tell you, I feel bad for Jake Lloyd. Like I read a couple of articles about Jake Lloyd uh, for this podcast. He did not have a good go of it, not at all. You know. Yeah. And Star Wars did not help him one bit. I mean, he got his money, but it, it sounds like he might have been better off without it. <clears throat> um, I don't know. It's a mixed bag for me. Like for me, like I can watch the opening, the pod race, the last half hour. Um. You know, including even the dumb Gungan fight scene versus the droid army. Even that I can swallow just because it's sort of interesting to watch the digital scenes. Um, but, the you know, there's, a, there's just tons in the middle that, that make no sense at all in this. Even the- like, like, here's a question for you. After they leave Coruscant and they go back to Naboo, right? Mm-hmm. Why do they bring the kid? Why? All right, we're going to go, you know, they talk about this in the Red Letter Media thing, and I actually always wondered it myself. Like, all right, we're going to go back and have a war. Let's bring the child, you know, like. <laughs> well, he's got they, a lot they of literally bring him to the battle. They literally bring him right into the battle, and then Qui-Gon says to him, like, you know, like, well, you know, find a place to hide. Like, what? <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, we're entering Berlin in 1945. <laughs> hey, come with us, kid. You know, it'll be awesome. <laughs> Here, just just hide here in this bomb crater. <laughs> we'll be back. We're gonna go see the you know, bunker. Like, but it's stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then all of a sudden, like he's he's magically flying the spaceship. Like it's just dumb. Like it's it's such an unbelievable stretch that like no one can stomach it. No one. So in in Star Wars the original, you know, the the stormtroopers are in are sort of depersonalized because they're all wearing identical white armor, and yet there's still obviously people underneath. You know. Um, right. Well, it's funny because when my brother and I saw Star Wars the first time, like we weren't sure if they were people or robots until Luke and Han steal their costumes. Right. Right. When they're on the Death Star. And then we were like, oh, I guess they're people. Right. But Lucas takes it a step further when he makes them these goofy, you know, truly goofy robots. So right, that, Roger. Yeah. So they can be, <laughs> right. Nonsense. So they can be um, killed. Right. With impunity. Right. Right. Yeah. No, the Jedi aren't bad if they kill hundreds of robots. So even that, you know, although Obi Wan, you know, like, but you know, it's it's a mistake. You know, it's another version of Han Han shot first, right? Like, it's yep. cooler when Han is a badass. And for example, like in A New Hope, you know, Obi Wan doesn't even blink and he cuts that dude's arm off in the cantina. Right, and he's right? being super restrained too. Right. Exactly. Like, but. So, like, that was better, but then they have to be all, like, PC, and they can only hurt robots. I'm surprised right? they, Like, it uh, just waters the whole thing down. I'm surprised they didn't, like, give that guy more arms with CG, so that when he cut his arm off, it would just be, you know, like, one out of ten arms instead of one out of two, so it's not as bad. Well, he had nine what, more arms. You know, it's, it, it's worth commenting on this, because, you know, um, I've been watching a bunch of videos online where they show all the changes that they've made to all the movies over the years, and... You know, in the biography that I read of Lucas, like, he explicitly says the movies are for him. Like, he doesn't say this once. He says this over and over and over, over many years. Like, he literally feels like, well, these movies have an audience of one, George Lucas. Like, I'm making this for myself. And if you happen to like it, that's great. And if you don't, tough. And, like, like when he makes those changes and everybody yells and screams and howls, like, 
like, I don't know if you noticed, you probably saw this movie had a digital Yoda, but the, when this was released in 99, it was a puppet. Like, they took everything out. Like, there's, they've made a zillion changes, even in this one. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> like, it's amazing that, like, that's Lucas's core attitude. Like, he doesn't care about the fans. Like, when people complained about this in 99, and there was all this yelling and screaming about how it was a bad movie, he said, and he meant it. He said, go see The Matrix if you don't like it. Like, what do I care? Like, the movie's for me. Like, yeah. he really means it. Well, he also learned that from his previous three movies, from his experience, and from changing the role of merchandising in Hollywood, that there would be a lot of kids that would see it. They're not very discriminating. Plus, he already had tremendous momentum from previous Star Wars. So, oh, he, yeah. he knew that basically, financially, the thing would be a massive success no matter what. It made a billion dollars with a B. But that's only the box office. It made billions more in merchant merchandising. Yeah, no, I think I think he made about double in merchandising. At least over the years. No, I know, but I mean, but like we said, like, you know, Lucas is in the toy business. You know, it's like, did you see um the founder about McDonald's? Yeah. With um, yeah, yeah. you know, like there's that great line in it where where they the guy said the lawyer says to Ray Kroc. He goes, you know, you're not in the hamburger business, you're in the real estate business, you know, because they own all these restaurants. And right. like, that's kind of like this, like George Lucas really isn't in the movie business, he's in the toy business. Right. Which he figured out after Star Wars in the next couple of years. Yeah. But and still, I mean, he, he figured it out, you know, he's, he's the, he's the Ray Kroc of cinema. Well, once, right. Once <laughs> How's he recoup- that for a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> once, yeah, he's a happy meal. Once he once he recuperated and came back in, you know, then it was full steam ahead. Yeah, for merchandising. Oh and boy, the 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 fact that he ended up selling out to Disney is perfect. Yeah, he sold for four billion, and he took half of it in cash. Think about that. And he was already a billionaire. Oh yeah, but I mean, now he, you know, he, really, you know, it's like that joke. Like there comes a time in every man's life where you have to grow up and sell out. Like he, he sold out in style. Oh yeah, no question. And you know what? <laughs> Everybody was happy too because they figured it can't get any worse. Let's see what they do with it. <laughs> yeah, and and I like Solo and Rogue One. I didn't like the the main Star Wars movies, The Force Awakens and Last Jedi. But I, I like. I mean, we've talked about them in the podcast. I like Rogue One and Solo. I think they're super watchable. Yeah. Oh man! Next week, you know. By the way, two, like, whatever that was called. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, right next week, the Clone Wars, <laughs> Attack of the Clones, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw the other ones on video, and there are some good battle scenes, etc. But I still don't know what the hell's going on. I never figured out what the story was. I remember. You know, I've only seen those movies maybe once the other two. And I remember the lava in the end where where Darth Vader is formed and he's laying there burning up. And I just remember laughing out loud at how ridiculous <laughs> it looked. <laughs> only you could laugh when someone's having their limbs amputated in the lava. <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, you know, you were at this point, you were cheering on the, uh, you were just cheering because it was almost over. <laughs> right. You got to, I got to, uh, right. You know, it's interesting. I, as, as God is my witness, my right hand is raised. In, in 77 or 78, I read somewhere in some magazine that, that, uh, Darth Vader lost his, 
you know, became like basically lost his limbs and got burned up in a lightsaber fight with Ben Kenobi in lava. Like I, I remember reading that somewhere in like 77 or 78 and then lo and behold, like they stuck to that idea all those years later. Like I remember when I saw the final prequel movie, like I was like, huh, they really did it. It was interesting. I think it was Alan Dean Foster. <laughs> Probably. Because <laughs> he wrote the Star Wars novelization. I think he, You know, the Star Wars novelization says George Lucas on the cover, but it's Alan Dean Foster. It's kind of like the opposite of the movies. Right. Well, I don't know. I, I I shudder to think how much of my money Lucas has. Like literally, as we speak right now, like Lucas can point to like an account in his bank where he's like, "Oh, that's that's uh, that's that guy's money." <laughs> well, he can point to many rubles oh, that have accumulated. A lot of shekels there. <laughs> A lot of shekels. <laughs> Plus, you know, don't forget that all the. The, the fact that he formed a revolution in the way cinema looked and, and in fact, yeah, he created ILM, ILM. And Skywalker sound, THX. Right. Right. And so like I'll, the heart of that as, as ILM and the sort of spinoffs from there, um, more was a massively successful business. An empire, like literally he became the emperor. How's that? I mean, right. Either you yep. die the hero, you live long enough to become the villain. As they said in the Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he, I think he um, can shoot electricity out of his fingertips at this point. <laughs> oh my god! All right, we have to end on that image. <laughs> All righty, oh, next buddy. week, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> uh, All right, let's break there. All right, that was good.